You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome back to another episode of 1881. This is your host, Shane Bedwell, the American Hereford Association podcast, 1881, part of the Hereford Network. Folks, I hope you're enjoying a great summer. It's uh, certainly been a hot one out and about, uh, no matter what you're doing. And so uh, uh, hopefully you have some road time or some uh, good cool down time to check back in with us and listen to the podcast. Uh, we've got an exciting one today. Our two guests we'll get to in a little bit here, but uh, I sure do want to thank uh, all the listeners. Uh, certainly appreciate the comments that you gave us uh, over time here. And our uh, last episode was with Mr. Bill Esch with uh, Ball Foods here in the Kansas City area and specifically Hen House that's been a staple uh, for uh, – promoting certified Hereford beef over the last uh, several years uh, here in the Kansas City area, and they've done a great job. So I'd uh, encourage you to tune into that episode and listen to the great testimony of the breed and the brand and the tradition. It's all there and a great episode with Bill. So with no further ado, our special guest here for this episode is Mr. Cody Sankey uh, with Gen X. And Mr. Arn, Aaron Arnett, Mr. Aaron Arnett with ST Genetics. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, glad to be here. Hey, thanks for having us, Shane. Certainly. I, I think it'll be a fun episode, and uh, we're, we're excited to kind of get uh, your all's perspective. Uh, the latest and greatest with uh, the AI technology and the business itself. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always an honor to have folks that are involved in the industry uh, on our podcast and uh, you guys are definitely out and about in the industry a lot and uh, doing great things and so uh, you know we're excited to have you on uh, on 1881 one of our um, few first few episodes that we've had so I, I think with that we'll kind of walk through this a little bit guys and give a little bit of background about each other and then we'll we'll jump in for some uh uh, toss up questions that you guys can both answer or kind of push one way or the other. But Cody, why don't you, uh, give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, Shane, thanks for having me be a guest here on, uh, your 1881 podcast. Certainly a pleasure to be here with you and Aaron today and, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, Hereford breed, but, um, you know, I grew up in the Flint Hills of Kansas on a family ranching operation there. I had registered Angus and Brangus seed stock cattle. I grew up there, uh, showed cattle growing up, was involved in the National Junior Angus Association, and then went off to college uh, to Butler County Community College and judged there on a livestock judging team and then went to Oklahoma State University, uh, competed there, uh, was on a judging team, and then after that, continued uh, my career at Michigan State University, and oh, that's yeah. kind of where I got uh, a real passion for Hereford cattle. Caught uh, the fever. There. Caught the yeah. fever. Caught Dr. the fever Hawkins. working there at the MSU Beef Barn for eight years in that legendary herd and working with the likes of uh, uh, Dr. David Hawkins and Harlan Ritchie. Uh, those guys, um, just legends in their own right. And, um, 
you know, got to see firsthand where the Hereford cattle uh, excel and, and had the opportunity to work with some of the, you know, very best Hereford cattle you could find in the country. And then after that, um, I met my wife and we got married and live in Indiana and transitioned into working at Gen X, uh, where I started as the beef sire procurement manager. And then uh, recently uh, moved up to the senior director of beef programs where I oversee uh, all things beef, uh, both uh, domestically and have a heavy interaction with our international teams. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a little short synopsis of my background in, in the beef industry, Shane. I can't imagine uh, walking down the hall or being at the beef barn when uh, Harlan Ritchie showed up. Yeah, you know, Shane, I I vividly remember it like it was yesterday. Um, you know, the last in Harlan would um, come out there in the summer months, and it was uh, we'd get in the work truck and Dave and Harlan and I in a single cab pickup, three wide, and bounce around the pastures, and he'd want to. He'd have a notebook and he'd take notes on all the sires and all the sire groups and what he saw, what he liked, what he didn't like in both the Hereford and Angus cattle. And he'd go back and compile those notes. And he did that right up mm-hmm. to, to the very end that I was there and, and that he was physically capable of doing that stuff. And so, you know, I don't know where those notes are uh, from the years of MSU history, but they'd be fun to see because that guy, uh, the, this the the study that him and Dave would put on a calf crop, uh, you knew right away. Uh, we've all taken college exams and we worried about failing. Uh, the pressure was on when those two were evaluating whether or not you made good breeding decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty neat part of history there. And, uh, both of those guys are, are legends and that's, uh, that's why they're in the saddle and sirloin. Um, so that's, uh, that's a pretty neat history. Aaron, um, why don't you share us a little bit of background with you, Aaron Arnett from ST Genetics. You bet, Shane. And um, like Cody said, thanks for having us on today. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to visit with you about what's going on in the Hereford breed and what that kind of look, looks like at ST Genetics. But my background, um, I'm an Ohio native, grew up in western Ohio, just a few miles from Indiana, uh, basically flatland, uh, a very good crop country. I grew up on a commercial cow-calf operation and uh, grew corn and soybeans and wheat as well. And uh, that small family farm still in business today. We um, we weren't uh, real active in showing cattle, but I was very fortunate to be in 4-H growing up and uh, participated at the county and state level. And like so many of us in this industry, you know, 4-H and the experience uh, that that provided I think really inspired me to do more things in the beef industry, uh, to go to college, um, to, to pursue my passion for the beef industry. So have some really strong roots that way. Went to Ohio State, uh, graduated with my bachelor's in animal science there, was on the livestock judging team. Mm-hmm. That was the first time in my life that I was really exposed to the opportunity to be, to be on livestock judging teams was when I was at Ohio State. Uh, enjoyed some success with that. And um really was, uh, you know, kind of inspired by some of the professors there who had been very successful. And I went on to do a master's degree at the University of Kentucky mm-hmm. and coached the college livestock judging team there uh, for several years before going to Kansas State University and doing a PhD uh, in meat science. And during my time at K-State and Kentucky, I taught animal science classes, mm-hmm. um, really enjoy the opportunity to influence uh, young people and help them 
along their career pathway and enjoyed that at both universities. And so um, a lot like Cody said, you know, it's always great to be around some of the legends, um, Scott Shockey and others uh, uh, who we got to work with uh, during my graduate experience was really great. And um, that kind of uh, that, that kind of experience, it's hard to put a value on. But uh, once I finished my PhD, I went back to Ohio. Uh, I had done an internship with Select Sires when I was uh, at Ohio State, and that was probably one of the most valuable things that I had done as an undergrad. And I encourage any young person listening to do whatever internships they can uh, to, to gain some experience outside of the classroom. And so I uh, went back uh, to Ohio, and I was in charge of the beef program at Select Sires for about seven years and did all their sire procurement uh, before joining ST Genetics in the fall of 2015. And uh, my current responsibility at ST Genetics, of course, is sire procurement, uh, basically uh, purchase or lease all the beef bulls in addition to supporting the sales team. So we uh, do a lot of training and support of, of our sales force and growing our beef business. And more recently been involved in genetic creation uh, internally. And so we've got a number of donor cows we're working and doing a lot of things on the mating side of cattle, a um, little more on the Angus side that way, but um, doing, doing genetic creation and then um, working on our international teams as well. Uh, there's quite a bit of, of growth going on in the semen business uh, internationally, and uh, there's a lot of support that we do on a daily basis with our international teams. So really enjoy my role at ST Genetics and um, really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you guys today. Oh yeah, Aaron. And I, I, I remember you, you might not remember me, but, uh, when I was completing my, uh, bachelor's degree at Kansas state, uh, that was during your time, uh, there when you yep. were working on that PhD. So, uh, I think I had, I, I do remember you, Shane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember Scott introducing you to me. I think it was the, at the awards breakfast at the national contest. And I know at yep. that time you were, you were kind of, flushing out opportunities as far as graduate school and what your next steps would be. And, right. and uh, Scott spoke very highly of you and said, you'd be a good one uh, to, to pursue. So yep. I, I remember that as my first encounter with Shane Bidwell. Yeah, I'll be darned. And I, that uh, it's, that's been what, 20 years ago now, Aaron, it's been, Holy <laughs> it's been longer ago than any of us probably want to admit, but it's, that's, that's pretty wild. Yep. So bo both of you guys are, uh, you know, uh, heavily involved in your, in your bull stud firms and, uh, you know, kind of the, the growth and, uh, you know, it's, it's it, not all of it lies on your shoulders, but a, a good chunk of it does. And, uh, you know, your international business is, is pretty big and, and the volume continues to increase and increase year over year. So let's, let's just why don't you just both of you give me a kind of a quick and dirty of of kind of the the company's outlay and what you're targeting and you know who's your main focus and your customers there. Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, St. Genetics actually is a little different than most uh, traditional AI organizations. We are um, a, a privately owned company. We have a, a CEO and a founder named Juan Moreno, mm -hmm. and there's a group of investors associated with, with him and, and folks that went in uh, 
I'm putting a lot on the line in the early days of investing in the technology that is now what you know as sex-sorted semen. And uh, we're different because many of the of the AI companies that have been around for 50 or 75 years, um, that a lot of those are cooperatives and um, not all of those are privately held. And so a little different approach and, and not saying one's better than another necessarily, but um, but this is definitely a little different than maybe um, you'd see from a traditional sense of an AI organization. So far with us, we started our, our beef program They've had Brahmin bulls and several breeds of bulls down there for many, many years. But in 2015, the fall of 2015 is really when they got started with our current beef program. And so we're kind of the new kid on the block. Um, we have um, started with a small group of bulls and uh, a small sales force. And so we're kind of the one that people are still getting to know. Hopefully um, people have heard of us, but um, you know, we're the one that, uh, provide sex semen, but also conventional semen on a group of bulls that we feel like addresses the needs of, of not only commercial producers, but seed stock producers. And um, been very fortunate to offer three genetic products on a lot of our bulls. We offer conventional semen, uh, but also with our sex sorting technology, we're able to offer, offer female sorted semen as well as male sorted semen. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you, Shane, that um, as a proportion of the total sales uh, the Hereford breed has, has we've been very fortunate to uh, have a high proportion of sex-sorted female semen going into the Hereford breed. The Hereford breeders have been very progressive in their adoption of sex-sorted semen. So right. Hereford breed is important to us at ST Genetics, and they've definitely contributed to our early growth. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. I know uh, several of your bulls are frequent on the on the top 10 list of sires used by registrations and um right, uh, you guys have a have an outstanding set of bulls in your lineup so cody give us a little background on uh, on gen x and its footprint yeah and and um you know we are the would be a little different than what aaron uh company is we'd be the cooperative uh gen x has been around for for quite some time we've evolved and changed a few names from in 21st century genetics on up to evolving into gen x cooperative that we are today but uh, you know we're owned by by our members just like any good cooperative and uh, have a, a board a council of elected uh, directors but uh, you know from a beef standpoint um, gen x is as have a a very unique philosophy that we believe in cow sense and science uh, blended together to make the very best cattle possible um you know we'll put a strong phenotypic evaluation on them blended with the genetic side of things um you know and and gen x has had a strong footprint in the herford breed uh, for quite some time uh, real passion for for folks uh, in that breed and the type of cattle they like to raise seems to mesh well with our mindset and our you know, purpose in the cattle that we like to procure and put in the lineup. But, you know, Gen X based out of Shawano, Wisconsin. Um, we've got bull studs there in Shawano. And then uh, most of our beef bulls are housed there in Billings, Montana, uh, mm-hmm. out there at the old Hawkeye West facility. And so we we uh, cover a lot of ground, um, you know, but uh, we have a real passion for, for good, solid beef bulls, Shane. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, the blueprint bull that, uh, you guys have in your lineup, uh, he was, he was definitely in the, in the top 10 list. And I think, uh, was second this year and, uh, 
then uh, of course a few other ones made the made the top 10 list and so it's uh you guys both have had great bulls uh in your lineup here for for many many years and uh those those cattle continue to propagate and you and you find them in the pedigree so that's that's encouraging let's let's rewind just a little bit and uh, kind of go back for some of our listeners that might not be as familiar with uh, AI and uh, some of the different uh, ART programs that are out there. But uh, you guys want to give us a little bit of background when AI started, because I think it's it's helpful as we go through kind of the different technology changes and how it's all evolved. Well, I think, you know, we were kind of texting the three of us before this thing started uh, about a little homework we had to do on this question. And, uh, but it's a good exercise and it's a great question because uh, understanding where you came from uh, helps you understand where you're going. And so, you know, basically, um, if you look back at the history of AI, it was founded primarily for the dairy industry. And uh, part of that is because those cattle were in confinement. Uh, It was easier early on to breed dairy cows, perhaps, than it was beef cows. And um, the, the research that I did would would uh, demonstrate that a lot of the the early AI research was going on in the late 30s. Yep. And that was basically uh, trying to two things. One, uh, be able to collect and extend semen uh, from bulls so that that semen would be viable for a longer period of time uh, based on how it was extended, some of the things that it was mixed with. And then um, also the ability, obviously, to get cows pregnant. And um, that was done at a number of land grant universities in the late thirties. And that was before semen was frozen. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in the, in the forties when it became commercially available at that time, there was anything going on from uh, airplanes, flying it over and dropping it on fresh semen at a dairy farm to uh, veterinarians at the time did a lot of the early AI and they'd have a, a handful of bulls available to them on a certain day. And uh, they take those they take those uh, extended ejaculates out to the dairy farms and, and breed cows and and uh, I think it wasn't until the fifties really until till frozen semen became uh, a little more commonplace and that certainly made it uh, more applicable to the beef industry where where bulls could be used uh, when cows came into heat and where estrus was observed over time and a set of beef cows uh, and then we moved on and talk about things like ampules of semen uh, that would have been pipetted into cows uh, onto half cc straws uh, that most of us would know with AI. uh, And then now many of our companies are packaging semen in quarter cc straws. Sex semen kind of came on the market in the early 2000s. And uh, that product has has been uh, the R&D effort behind that product in the last two decades has been tremendous. So that that product has been available and, and gets better and better all the time. And the other piece I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention when you talk about the history of AI is the estrus synchronization protocols right. that come along with it right. uh, for the beef industry because that those protocols have really enabled the adoption of AI mm-hmm. and uh, the ability to breed large groups of cows at one time uh, without checking heat and uh, get you know get over fifty percent of those cattle pregnant on one day. That's a that's a that's a very tremendous technology to have to pair with. Uh, being able to use the best bulls in the world through AI. Right. So, Cody, what what is your go-to sync program? You know, 
Uh, Shane, uh, and I would add in on what um, Aaron said there when we talk about extra sync protocols and, and where we've come and where we go. Um, you know, the, the real key to success of this artificial insemination is how good you are if you are detecting heat to detect them, but if you're not, to set up the, that successful protocol uh, to make it work. And I always tell folks, the protocol that's best is the one that fits your program. And I think there's a lot of different ones out there, you know, all the way from, you know, the traditional seven day to the 14 the day for heifers. Uh, now we've got the seven and seven um, and there's, you know, varying results. Uh, but I, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's what fits best with your labor resources and your facility, because like Aaron stated in his, you know, commonplace AI started in the dairy industry because they're in confinement. And unfortunately right. for those of us in the beef industry, and Aaron will probably agree with this, that our most limiting factor in mass use of AI is, is labor at this point and the ability to get the time and the people to round the cattle up and put them through the chutes and do that. And so whatever protocol works, you know, for your program, it's the one I suggest, you know, I, I, if, if I try to tell you which one I would like the best, uh, usually it's, uh, I, yeah, I'm always stuck in tradition. I like the seven day, um, yeah. but there's so many different options that fit different ones. You know, the seven and seven has unbelievable uh, data that comes out here every here recently that suggests that uh, it's the new protocol to look at. Um, you know, a lot of our heifer projects done in America are done on the 14 day seeder. Um, and that one is challenging because you have to make sure you get far enough out on your calendar that you can see that. Uh, in advance of getting those cedars implanted and pulled and shots given so you have enough to lead time. But, um, you know, Aaron, Aaron, uh, maybe you have a, a different outlook on that, but that's kind of my take on Esther Sink. No, I totally agree, Cody. It's um, there, There's been quite a bit of research done on a number of protocols, and it's absolutely whatever works for your operation is, is the best protocol to use. Uh, no question is seven and seven sink uh, will get a very, very high proportion of the cattle pregnant, uh, get a high proportion of them to come into heat and then get them pregnant. Um, and so that, that, that program probably works uh, the best right now of anything we've got available in terms of maximizing pregnancy rates. But at the same time, you got to, again, consider that labor piece of it, uh, the number of trips through the chute uh, that you want to do. And uh, when you, when you boil it all down, it's got to work for your calendar. And so any one of these protocols that we have available today, uh, will get a, we'll get a high proportion of these cattle pregnant. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know you, both of you guys have, uh, reps and technicians out in the field that, uh, you know, do give advice and, and help folks kind of get that figured out. And that's, everybody's a little bit different. Um, that's, that's why we have different genetics. That's why we have different goals in these operations. And so I, I guess it should come to no surprise, that, uh, you know, the sync programs, there's several of them and that's, uh, they're suited to, to best fit the producer and, uh, what kind of goals and management practices they have. So Cody, you kind of touched on it and, uh, you know, as a, as a breed, the Hereford breed, I just put this together for the July Hereford world, uh, that will come out here the first of the month, but, uh, you know, as a breed, we've, we've progressed over time, uh, with the use of AI, we would be, uh, right at 33%, uh, 
of the number of uh, calves registered in a year uh, would either come through artificial insemination um, or embryo transfer program. And so definitely the use of AI um, in that process and that, that number's grown. Uh, we've, we've grown substantially uh, over the last decade and, and prior to that when that number was in the low teens. And so you know, that's that's something our breeders have definitely taken a hold of. Aaron, you mentioned that with the use of sex semen, um, which is neat to see, and um, those breeders taking a hold of that. But um, let's let's talk about the commercial industry and kind of how that's different, guys, where, you know, what what is the number of cows or the percentage of cows AI'd in a commercial herd? Yeah, you know— the industry or national average, and, and Aaron, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know we're going to be plus or minus that five percent across the whole, and uh, that is a number that is significantly lower than we would see in seed stock production. And you know, once again, I th- it gets back to labor and time and resources, but the opportunity to to put more of those cattle through the chute and add value, whether you're selling bred heifers or, or a set of feeder calves the next year, you know, I think unfortunately it gets lost in the shuffle of how much added value some producers miss out on by not utilizing artificial insemination and the ability to influx that heterosis in one generation and, and not have to buy an expensive herd bull. Um, but, you know, those are those are some of the things that that strike me with that that question, Shane. It's just amazing to me that uh, you know, as we've evolved with uh, our sync protocols, and uh, you know, you guys continue to put pretty darn good bulls in your lineup uh, year in and year out, and you have a you have a set of foot soldiers out there uh, that are in those regions of the country where there's a lot of cows and. Uh, that we can't move the needle anymore. Can you imagine the progress that we would make if we would just get that number to 10 instead of five and we'd get that number to 10? Uh, what could, what could possibly happen? Yeah. Most of the data that we look at Shane um, would suggest a higher proportion of heifers are getting AI than cows. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cody's number is right. I mean, we're well below 10% of the national beef herd being, bred by artificial insemination. Um, our data shows probably about 15% of the heifers, the yearling heifers are getting bred by AI and, and that would most likely point to uh, calving ease and the, and the use of proven calving ease bulls on those heifers. Uh, but then, you know, probably not more than 5% uh, of the mature beef cows in the country get bred by AI. So, completely agree with you. It's a, it's been a challenge. Um, this labor piece, uh, doesn't seem to usurp the, uh, the added value that you get, but I'll tell you, um, they're not only the genetics and the, and getting to use some of the very elite bulls and populations of cattle is the reproductive efficiency that you gain by synchronizing cows. Um, you can have cows, uh, move them up, make them more efficient. Uh, I think there's been, fair amount of research done, Cody, uh, over the years have demonstrated in a, you know, in a 10 year productive life of a commercial beef cow, let's say if she was exposed to estrus synchronization and AI versus just being bred by natural service, that cow that's been, that's been, uh, 
synchronized will wean another calf, a whole other calf in a 10-year lifetime than a cow that's just been bred by natural service. And that's due by far because of reproductive efficiency, not so much because of genetics. And you can move those cows up. There's there's no bull that will replace the value of a calf being a cycle older, 21 days older. Right. Uh, and estrogen synchronization improves the efficiency of cows dramatically uh, over time. Aaron, that sounds like a, a promotion piece there. You need to get that out everywhere. <laughs> that that well, I mean, that's it's, huge. It's true. It's I mean, the, the what what did you say? The one more calf over a lifetime. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's field. been a fair amount of research done. I think some of it was done at the University of Kentucky, uh, University of Tennessee, where cows that were synchronized, basically, uh, where there was a cedar and lutelice or cedar and prostaglandin kind of protocol, something fairly basic used over the lifetime of a cow, uh, that cow had weaned a whole nother calf in a 10 year period compared to cows that were just bred by natural service. So there's a lot of pounds to be gained, a lot of efficiency to be gained uh, just in the reproductive side of things, not necessarily the genetic piece. Mm So uh, that, you know, I know you guys are constantly working on that. I, I hear uh, internationally there's uh, maybe a little bit of work being done with robots and uh, uh, somehow a robot is going to help uh, synchronize uh, slash inseminate uh, heifers or cows. I, I I think it's a great attempt or a great try. Um, because our labor shortage is, is not stopping, right? It's, uh, it's gonna, it's continues to face us all in, in every segment of what we do. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think the bottom line, we got to continue to educate and, and show folks where the, where the dollars can be had. Um, if you do take advantage of some of this technology and, uh, obviously the genetic side of it. But, um, so kind of, kind of going off of that, we talked a little bit about sex semen and, and, uh, I know, uh, you know, Aaron, you guys have a pretty good stronghold on that, uh, business and kind of led the way, um, you know, with, uh, the sexing technology and et cetera. You want to share any more about, uh, about that? Sure, Shane. Well, we're fortunate to have great partners uh, in companies like uh, Gen X and, and Cody's company. Uh, we're fortunate that they make their uh, sex sorted semen uh, via sexing technologies as, like do uh, several other of the bull studs. But basically, our sorting process um, is one that, that evaluates the difference in DNA content between a male and a female sperm cell. And so those female sperm cells contain in cattle uh, about 4% more DNA than do the male cells. And that difference, we can fluoresce that semen, basically mix that ejaculate with some dye. And because there's more DNA in the female cells, it will pick up more of the dye. Mm. And um, it's run through a laser beam that detects that difference. And uh, the, the cells are sorted basically two ways into male and female cups and we actually have it's actually three ways because we have an unidentified uh, group or a group that kind of sorts out the dead cells but um, that's how our technology works and again we've been 
we've been working on it over time. One of the great things about ST Genetics is the investment in R&D. And the original sex semen, uh, I think anybody in our company, including our owner, would tell you that it didn't work very well. Uh, there was a lot of folks that got to use subpar bulls uh, that that the semen cost two to three times more than conventional semen uh, just for the opportunity to get either a male or a female out of those uh, out of those genetics. And uh, over the last couple of decades, you know, our company has done a great job of, of investing heavily in the R&D piece. And so we came out with uh, a product called Sex Ultra 4M in 2016. And that product um, would be a high fertility product compared to some of the original sex semen. Uh, it doesn't damage the sperm cells as much in the sorting process. And uh, we've been able to identify some bulls that, that that will perform very close to what their conventional semen would, would make in terms of pregnancy rate. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's kind of where we are with sex semen. And that process continues every day to try to try to make it better, try to make it uh, as good or better than conventional semen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aaron, one question I would have for you um, that I get a lot and see if I understand it correctly. When you sort that semen and you say we're going to sort it for female, you cannot use the male, correct? It, you can't sort it and no. one ejaculate make just split the male and female and cane it male and female. If you pick what you're doing, then the other sex is null and void. Is that correct? Uh, no, that's not correct. Okay. We can make male and female from the same ejaculate. Um, in fact, uh, based on those differences of, of fluorescence on those on the DNA content of those cells, uh, as they come through that laser, they they then are assigned an electrical charge, and they pass through an electromagnet. It's the last piece of the process. So the male cells go one way, and they're actually just sorted into cups that sit underneath that sorting machine. And uh, based on the on the charge of that semen droplet, they'll, they'll go into either a male cup or a female cup based on their electric charge. Or uh, if they're an unidentified cell that may be dead or may have compromised DNA content or something that, that uh, would not make a pregnancy, they'll go into a waste cup. And so we can sort three different ways. And our technology is kind of unique that way. And there's a competitor technology that cannot do that. And um, we, we are fortunate to be able to keep the male cells uh, through our process out of the same collection where we'd be keeping female cells. Interesting. I did not know that. Always learn something. That's pretty cool. So, you know, Aaron, you hear uh, folks say sometimes, you know, well, my bull uh, just for whatever reason didn't work for sex semen. So what what's actually the more of the technical information behind sure. that? What why don't all bulls work? Well, there's that's a good question, and it, it's related to semen quality. And I, and I will tell you that, uh, and I'm sure anybody from any AI organization would tell you the same thing, is that beef bulls as a group uh, do not have superior semen quality like we would be used to on the dairy side. Uh, no matter what beef breed it is, there's some that are better than others, but as a group, beef bulls... Uh, semen quality could be better. And I'll, and I'll plug that in and say that's a place uh, as an industry that we ought to be looking at as ways to improve and, and looking at ways to identify bulls that are superior for semen quality. But basically, if you take a, a population of bulls, beef bulls, and you say that probably three quarters of those bulls will be good candidates for conventional semen production, 
Then you take that population of bulls that are acceptable for conventional and you say, are they going to make the grade for sex sorting? And again, you, you probably take off another uh, quarter of those bulls among the bulls that have already been selected for conventional. So th- the reason that they're not all good candidates is the sorting process is hard on sperm cells. It is uh, putting it through that process is, requires cells that have a high motility, have a very low concentration of uh, abnormal cells or cells that could not make a pregnancy to begin with. And uh, so you got to start with what we call very neat semen uh, on the conventional side. And those bulls become fairly good candidates to make sex sorted semen. Mm -hmm. The other piece to that chain is that uh, the sooner you can get semen sorted after it's collected, the higher probability you have of that being good semen as sex sorted semen. One of the challenge in the industry is that a lot of collections are overnighted to us for custom sorting. And so a lot of times by the time we receive it and have the opportunity to make sex sorted semen, that semen has been swimming uh, outside of that bill for 24 hours plus. Mm -hmm. And the longer that semen is out uh, um, after it's been collected, the lower probability it has of being successful on the sorting machines. Yeah. So if a, if a producer would have a, have a bull, Aaron, um, that maybe isn't owned by a, another stud or, or, a you know, studded with you guys, could they just take him to your Navasota location and, and, and get the bull collected for sex semen or is that an option? Well, it used to be that way in Navasota where you could kind of custom collect bulls. We've, we've transitioned that facility into a CSS qualified facility. And so part of that biosecurity is you, you cannot just haul bulls in and out of that facility. Yep. So what we do now is work with a network of custom semen collection facilities. And it would be just about anywhere in the country. If you, you probably have a facility within a few hours drive. Yep. Uh, where we're working with a company that can overnight us the collections. Mm-hmm. And um, what my suggestion would be is to work with your, your custom provider closest to you that has a relationship with ST Genetics and take some collections on those bulls, get some conventional semen collected and ask those folks in those labs, is this bull a good candidate for sex sorted semen? And if They'll be honest with you in most cases, and they'll say, you know, this bull's got really good semen. We think he's a good candidate to overnight an ejaculate to ST genetics. Uh, or they may say, you know, it's he's kind of on the bubble. He, he collects some conventional semen, but he's probably not going to make it uh, on the sorting machine. So we've got good relationships with those folks. And um, overnighting us collections is the best way to custom sort semen. Right. Okay. Cody, you guys have... Um and we talked a little about this a little bit earlier about the, you know, going from ampules to half CC straws to quarter CC straws. I mean, quarter CC straws are kind of here to stay, aren't they? I mean, it seems like they're uh, pretty, pretty highly effective. And uh, I know a lot of your semen's going out that way, right? Yeah. Well, so we have joined in on the group of folks that have started collecting all our bulls in quarter CCs and, uh, you know, change is hard and, in anything, especially in agriculture and in the beef business. Uh, and I know a lot of people like, um, you know, half CC straws and, and what you'll see from the research is, you know, we can, can see a, an improvement in conception 
Um, you know, we can, we can make a more effective product, put it in, in quarter CC straws. The other thing that we can do is uh, shipping methods uh, are more effective using the ability to put more canes of semen, um, you know, in a shipper and, and do some of those things. So there's a lot of advantages to that quarter CC versus the half um, that, that we've found out there in the AI industry. And, and I think Aaron, almost all of the most progressive bull studs have gone to quarter CCs uh, now moving forward. Absolutely. Yep. Totally agree with Cody. There's a, there's a little bit of a fertility bump. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I don't like reading the print on those little straws better than anybody else. And uh, I've had a few, I've had a few people tell me they feel like they're shorting uh, their cow by, by using a quarter CC straw, but the reality is we can put as many sperm cells or more sperm cells in a quarter cc straw as we can a half cc straw. And we think the reason that the fertility is a little better is be that smaller diameter straw, it'll thaw a little more uniformly when you drop it into that water bath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I agree with Cody. I mean, it's the industry is kind of going that way. Um, international uh, customers have been that way for many, many years. And, and most of the big dairies because of um, the number of cows that they breed on a daily basis have been in quarter CCs for several years. So yeah. again, uh, like Cody said, change is hard, but uh, there's some, there's some real advantages for quarter CC straws. So let's, let's transition a little bit guys. Uh, you know, both of you attend a lot of sales and you're out and about with our, uh, Hereford uh, breeders and uh, get to kind of see what's happening in the breed uh, in the fall and uh, winter and spring of every year. Tell me what, uh, why you like uh, procuring Hereford bulls and uh, why do you need Hereford bulls in your lineup? Well, Shane, you know, the, the one thing I appreciate about the Hereford breed and the, and the breeders is, um, they still have a strong appreciation for what the bull looks like. And um, it's very hard to pull the wool over a Hereford breeder's eyes based off of a, a picture or, or just some numbers on a page. They want to see the bull. They want to make sure he's high quality, uh, has all the phenotypic traits that we find important in, in a good herd sire. So it makes it fun to, to procure Hereford bulls. And, um, you know, the value that I see and, and, Aaron, I think would agree with this is, you know, the Herefords mark on the industry, no doubt is the black baldy and the ability to find that calving ease, high phenotype, uh, Hereford or horned Hereford or pulled Hereford bull out there in the marketplace and, and put them into stud and, and see the impact they can have industry wide, uh, on that first generation of black baldy calves is, is where I think, you know, is so important so important and where the Hereford breeze, you know, really hang their hat, you know, that heterosis, that baldy, um, you know, I, at some point there's going to be a significant set of heifers retained in this country and we're going to see a great heifer retention. And I think Herefords, Herefords have a big part of that breeding those black females, um, going forward. And so, you know, the Hereford breed in general, I, you know, I appreciate their eye, their ability to evaluate good cattle, uh, for phenotypic excellence and, and, you know, that strong maternal heterosis in there is something you can't deny Shane. And, and so I think there's a, there's a bright future there. Yep. Yep. Aaron, what, what thoughts would you add? 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think that uh, from the the commercial side of things, the Hereford breed is one of the key breeds uh, in maintaining uh, the heterosis advantage and hybrid vigor, especially on the maternal side. Uh, we know that a lot of these maternal traits are fairly low in heritability, and for that reason, they get the biggest advantage uh, when you start crossing breeds and start seeing that heterosis come through. So talk about things like uh, days open, uh, interval, to, interval to breeding, interval to calving, um, all those kind of fertility pieces that we know are sometimes challenging to select for. There's one way to fix all that, and that's crossbreed. And uh, the Hereford breed, no question, uh, has, is an important piece of uh, that ideal commercial female that we have in the beef industry. So mm-hmm. that's that's a big piece of, of why they're relevant. Another thing related to you know heifer retention and, and growing the, the female side of the business is um, we can now use breeds specifically in the genders that they're kind of designed to be used. And I'm not saying that a Hereford bull isn't valuable, but uh, we know that uh, the maternal value of the Hereford breed can be brought forth in sex female semen. And uh, you start thinking about taking a set of black commercial heifers and putting a, a proven uh, Hereford bull and sex female semen in those heifers and making a set of black baldies. That's pretty exciting. Uh, for what you can do in the beef industry. So we think, um, you know, not only are they an important breed and for crossbreeding, they're important uh, as we grow our business at ST Genetics. That's awesome. Uh, I know both of you guys were active this year and adding new bulls to your, to your lineup and, um, you know, are getting ready to get everything cataloged to make a good push here this fall. And so it's, uh, it's fun to see what you've done. I mean, you've got both of you've got the track records to to show uh, when you when you put in a sleep all night heifer bull that's maternally driven and uh, high on phenotype uh, and and some carcass there to it. Uh, what can happen? Uh, it's it's pretty amazing, and I think those those commercial ranches uh, they like seeing those baldy calves because uh, they know the they know the value in that mama cow. Uh, that they're going to get uh, each and every time. So I think we've got uh, some further conversation, gang, uh, between the three of us of how we can work more together with your sales reps and uh, what we can do uh, from an association standpoint to leverage that F1 cross even further. What uh, what What's on the horizon you know, you guys uh, are, are pretty high up in the food chain uh, of both of your firms, and uh, you know, technology's coming our way. It continues to to advance. Uh, h- how do we move this industry forward and and continue to have uh, AI and and make it make it really readily available and uh, consumable? Well, at our company. Um you know, there's a couple of things I'd share, and, and some of these are very relevant to the Hereford breed because of what we talked about a little bit ago. Um, one is, um, as you look at our traditional competitors who breed large groups of commercial cattle, most of the time they're going to recommend one proven bull in conventional semen, and that bull is going to get bred to the entire population of cattle. Um, we're trying to take the approach, and our competitors can do this through the ST technology as well. Uh, of more breeding systems. And what I mean by that is using breeds for what they were intended to, to be used for. So for example, in the Hereford breed, we think that's a strong maternal breed 
that may be a breed that we would recommend as an organization uh, to go into a population of females and, and breed those yearling heifers or those mature cows to sexed female Hereford semen. Again, creating that, that group of uh, baldy females that we know uh, because of that crossbred advantage will have an advantage in fertility, longevity, and some of those types of traits. Uh, then we may come in with a uh, population of, of terminal sires. We may use something like a, a Charlet sire or a Simmental sire in sexed male semen. Mm-hmm. And we may take those male cells out of those collections and try to maximize things like uh, post-weaning growth, feed efficiency, carcass traits, carcass weight, uh, where you may not want those genetics in the cow herd. And so you use those bulls in sexed male semen. So we're, we're, Definitely looking at breeding systems where we're strategically using breeds uh, kind of in the in the gender of semen or the sort of semen uh, that we think most benefits commercial producers. Uh, another couple of things uh, related to this, Shane, is, you know, our company's probably um, not sure how far we are from it, but hope to provide some genetic testing to the beef industry at some point. And uh, if we can help a a commercial producer um, identify you know, a set of replacement heifers that they may not see with their own eye uh, that might have the potential for growth or some efficiency uh, or some downstream traits uh, that they can use to help select uh, replacement heifers. We think that would be a very useful tool. And so as you pair that with phenotypic evaluation, uh, genetic testing becomes kind of unique. And one of the other pieces we're looking at right now is a multi-sire dose of semen. Uh, for the commercial industry. So uh, for example, um, if you're breeding commercial cattle, it might not, I'll I'll challenge this question and say, might not always be important to know what the sire of the calf is, as opposed to what the genetics of of the calf is from that sire. And so, you know, what if we could take a group of three Hereford bulls that were all known to be proven bulls with progeny data, to be proven for calving ease, have very good maternal traits, maybe some carcass value in those bulls. Mix those bulls in a in a dose of semen that provided a fertility advantage, uh, kind of a two plus two equals five kind of approach, and um, be able to increase the fertility possibly over the fertility that we are accustomed to in conventional semen. So yeah. those are just some things we're looking at in our company, and uh, uh, again. Uh, hope we can serve the beef industry in those ways as we go forward. So Aaron, I, a follow-up question to that. I've been told, is it pooled, pooled semen does have a higher conception rate because they're competing. Is that true? You know, there's a couple of different philosophies about that chain and, and there's been some research published that did demonstrate a fertility advantage because the thought process was that the sperm cells were competing. What we do know for sure is that you get at least the fertility of the highest fertility bull in the straw. And so what I mean by that is maybe it's a little bit of risk protection. So if you put three bulls in a straw and you say, you know, one of those bulls is going to have average conception and another bull is going to have fairly high conception and another bull might be a little below average for conception rate, you're probably going to get the, the fertility of at least the highest bull in the straw. And so just like you would see a natural service in multi-sire pastures, one bull is going to sire a large proportion of the calves uh, in a natural service scenario. And we see the same thing happen when you start mixing bulls 
in an AI straw as well. Yeah. Aaron and, and Shane, I would add into that. We're, we've been doing that at Gen X uh, on our dairy side and, and we're starting to probably add that into our beef herd of that blended, you know, straw semen and, and everything that Aaron suggested is accurate. And we, you see that fertility, but also Shane, you, you, you look at it in the way it was described to me. I, I don't have a PhD like Aaron, but sometimes you get a little more dumbed down in an athletic term. Um, you know, we're putting a sprinter, a marathon runner, and um, a, a middle of the road runner in the same straw semen, and they're going to take off and swim towards that uh, in that uterus, and we're going to see whatever one fits that cow's ovulation the best. And so, you know, you put one bull in there, you know, you got some timing differences in there as well. So, you know, while we'll see a bump in fertility, you also you know get that different interaction of each bull sperm in that cow that that I would say, you know, aids in that fertility just a bit. So, you know, from a Gen X standpoint, we've, we've done that, uh, on, on our dairy side with our beef on dairy programs. We do that a lot and, um, we're looking to implement that more into our beef on beef herds. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh, Cody. And I think that's, that's well put and it probably highlights another topic, uh, you know, that Aaron mentioned earlier that uh from a genetic improvement standpoint uh I, th- I think the whole cattle industry has a lot to learn yet when it comes to bull fertility um and and we common you know just save the you know we have the routine bses uh for these bulls to kind of pass uh prior to uh bull cells or you know prior to them getting in the cow herds but uh i think there's a lot to learn yet uh, from a research standpoint, because, uh, on one hand, you know, the, the mixing of, of semen's good and it, and it, uh, basically mitigates risk. But if we truly knew those, uh, bulls a little bit more about them, may, maybe we wouldn't have to do some of that stuff, uh, as much. So it's, a uh, there's trade-offs, but I, I, don't you guys think there's some, some research opportunities that we could dive more into this bull fertility? Yeah, and I kind of chime in here, you know, in Aaron and I's line of work, um, buying the bull is just the first tiny step in this whole process. And and everyone does a BSE, and just because a bull passes a BSE and, and will settle cows, uh, there's so much more to it and frustrating from our standpoint of, of where we go. Now, I will give props to the Hereford breed. Uh, compared to other beef breeds, I would say, you know, Hereford's free semen, you know, competitively well, uh, to other beef breeds, but you know, you're right, Shane, there's, there's a lot of fertility, you know, if we could, we could up AI fertility and beef cattle and, and raise it up to the point where it's like, wow, putting that straw semen in, you know, is the odds are in my favor very heavily to get a cow pregnant. Um, you know, I think we increase the amount of AI usage too. And Aaron, feel free to jump in here, you know, but I, that's kind of where I see, you know, the opportunities. Yeah, I totally agree, Cody. And if you just look at the the number of cows that are bred by AI each year, if we increase the fertility of those inseminations by 10%, let's say, that's probably another 3 million calves sired by AI a year. I mean, the, the magnitude of just a small change in fertility is significant to the beef industry, and, and there's huge opportunity. Uh, compared to the female side, we know relatively little 
about the male side, as Shane referenced. Um, there's been a lot of research done on beef females, synchronizing beef females, how to optimize uh, fertility in beef females. But what we know about, about the male side is relatively low, relatively small uh, compared to the female side. And so huge opportunity, uh, great, great place here to challenge the research community and the breed associations to invest more heavily uh, in identifying uh, higher fertility beef bulls. I think one of the challenges is, as you referenced, you know, BSEs, I, I would agree with Cody. I think the the correlation between the a bull passing a BSE or not, and their ability to freeze high quality semen in a bull stud is, is got to be extremely low. Hmm. And I don't mean that as any disrespect to the veterinarians that are doing those, but um, we have, I mean, basically all the bulls that enter AI have passed a BSE in most cases. Uh, but that is not a good indicator of their ability to freeze high-quality semen. I think the other challenge there is those are, again, like we referenced on the female side, they're low heritability traits. Uh, they're traits that um, you know, are largely influenced by environment and uh, just what that snapshot of that, of that bull semen looks like on one given day, and it's not necessarily a great indicator of that bull's ability to freeze semen. So definitely opportunity and definitely work to be done there. Very good. I think that's a, that's a pretty good place to kind of wrap us up. Uh, guys, um, it's been a great episode. Um, great insight. Any, any parting words for our, uh, Hereford breeders, our members, um, that you want to say? You know, I'd just say, uh, thanks for having us on. Um, Shane, it's been really fun. Um, obviously the three of us are friends and I think one of the one of the things that makes um, doing business in this country great is the fact that uh, people like Cody and I are competitors and we probably are, are better at what we do because of each other and because we like to compete. And at the end of the day, um, you know, all these organizations have some pretty good bulls and some pretty useful things to offer. So I think it's been fun to be able to kind of do this program uh, opposite Cody and appreciate you having us both on at the same time that, um, we're, we enjoy the Hereford breed tremendously well at ST Genetics. Again, uh, just thank uh, all of our customers who believed in us early on, who have adopted sex semen in the Hereford breed and uh, have, have invested in what we have to offer. We appreciate it very much, and, and we see a tremendous future in Hereford Genetics at ST. Yeah, Shane, I would echo Aaron's sentiment. Um, thank you for having us on, and, and yeah, you know, Aaron said we're competitors and yet we're friends and all three of us on here, you know, we were, you know, travel around and run across each other. And, and that's the fun part of just the beef business in general, you know, uh, just having good friends, the camaraderie of this business, um, you know, being able to interact with, with guys like you and have that knowledge base. And, and I see that in the Hereford breed, a, a group of very passionate people who love what they do and, and, work to push your breed forward i think the sky's the limit for that shane and uh you know at gen x it's been a long-standing history of of legendary hereford sires that come through there we hope to keep that coming you know from the likes of a uh 719t uh, revolution 4r to sensation to blueprint and, and on to the future you know we're vested in the hereford breed uh, you know we we love everything that they bring to the table and so from a Gen X standpoint, uh, we're excited to see what the future holds. Working with 
your association and you and Jack and the staff, along with the breeders out there, uh, some of some of my favorite visits each year to, to Hereford Ranches. Uh, the hospitality is great and the cattle are great. So, Shane, it's it's been a pleasure to be a part of this with you. Well, I think it's been great, uh, guys. Thank you for your time. I know you're busy uh, with uh, several summer activities, and uh, you know the work still goes on. And so, thanks, thanks for your time. And I thought we had some some great. Uh, takeaways uh, from this episode so that'll kind of wrap us up folks appreciate you listening in to uh, this episode of 1881 and uh, our next episode uh, of course uh, we're getting into the month of july and you know what time of the year that is well it's junior national herford expo time and so uh, we're going to have uh, president uh, bruce everhart uh, representing the american herford association board and then uh, Mr. Noah Benedict, uh, that's going to be representing uh, the junior board, uh, both on a tag team podcast. And so that one will be a good one uh, to jump into and listen to. But uh, thanks again, uh, guys, and uh, we're going to sign off. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.